Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wrestling Statistics, the only show that takes the unique perspective of looking at wrestling through the lens of stats, analytics, and anything in between. I am your host, as always, Ryan Knightsey, and with me is the man behind Pro Wrestling Musings himself, Craig Lease. Craig, I, you know, typically we've been doing this bit about saying, like, how are you doing? And then it's just like, we kind of have to think about it. I feel like I know what you're thinking about. <laughs> I feel like I know what your how you're doing answer is going to be. But I guess I'll throw it to you anyways. How are you doing, Craig? How are you, how are you, how are you feeling about all of this stuff? How am I feeling? I'm, I'm quite well done and crispy today. Um, <laughs> I went outside with, like, friends yesterday for the first time in three months. Um, and it was like, you know, that way it's really overcast, but it's warm. Mm. So it was like that. Um, and then throughout the afternoon, the sun came out and I put sun cream on, but it obviously wasn't quickly enough. And with my kind of um, complexion, um, that wasn't that wasn't um, that wasn't the best for forethought. So yeah, I'm feeling a bit kind of depleted of energy today. Like my arms could probably fry an egg. Um, and then yeah, I kind of like did the whole like kind of tired, not a lot of energy. So you end up just flicking for your phone. And then at the moment when you kind of wade into wrestling Twitter, there's this horrible human did this, this horrible human did that. Oh, but, you know, um, can men not even speak to women anymore? Uh, yes, men can still speak to women. Just, you know, be nice. Don't. Oh, I don't even, I was, I'm, yeah, making a mess of this. It's just, it's just miserable and abhorrent and pathetic and sad. And just like the, the vast amount, like there's like a list going around of like British wrestlers that have been involved in all this criminal activity to call it what it is. And it's like, oh, that wrestler and that wrestler and that wrestler, um, who are the guys that I like? Oh, I don't like any more wrestlers now. It's just, it's, oh, it's, it's vile, 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 vile. If you're a listener that somehow uh, does not know what we're talking about, uh, you know, we just, I, I do want to give, I guess, maybe, a, I don't know what we'll talk about in the, in the next couple of minutes, but just in case, potential warning uh, for, for sensitive listeners uh, when it comes to, um sexual abuse um rape things like things of that nature we're going to be talking about what's been happening on wrestling twitter and wrestling you know brit wrestling all that stuff uh when it comes to the hashtag speaking out um i just want to put that out there first uh because who i don't know what we're going to talk about greg but yeah uh it's you know seeing that on twitter um, first off, I want to say, uh, obviously speaking for Craig, speaking for Mikey on hit the book, speaking for everybody else, uh, we 100, 1000%, uh, 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 are terrible at statements. 1000%, uh, despise, hate any sort of sexual abuse, sexual harm, um, anything of that nature we, uh, d d detest. It's it has no place in society, has no place in wrestling, um, and we one hundred percent don't agree with anything of the, the what those wrestlers have done. Um, additionally to that, we we are we one hundred percent stand with the the women 
that have, or not just women, but, you know, mostly women that have come forward to spread their stories, spread their truth, um, and just sort of uh, have wanted to make some sort of statement, make, make known what's been happening in the dark for so long. Um, it is that sort of thing about, you know, you know, the only way to fix these things is by knowing it first, knowing what the problem is. And thankfully, uh, all these women feel safe and comfortable and have the strength enough right now to speak what's been happening to them for so long. And so we are very proud and stand with all of those people. Uh, but yeah, Craig, it's uh, obviously incredibly disappointing, uh, incredibly disappointing person to be a fan of wrestling right now. And uh, seeing, like you said, just name after name after name after name of these these wrestlers that are you know whether or not they're independent just straight up independent wrestlers or they work for some sort of multimedia company um anywhere anyone in between it's it's like you said abhorrent uh i hate to see you know you hate to see it and i don't know i I just hate to see it so much (laughs) yeah and i don't yeah i don't know how much more there is to say about it than that um there are people that are kind of better placed um to talk with this than us and um, jamesy from post wrestling also does a bit of grapple kind of um he's been very, very kind of he's been retweeting kind of everything you need to see he's been very down um on twitter about the kind of state of things um i listened to also in post wrestling i listened to, they had chris and ashley on um, she was talking really interestingly about AWIW, I think, um, the, uh, the Association of, of Women in Wrestling, which is um, essentially what sounds kind of like what, it, it sounds kind of like uh, kind of grassroots versions of the AEW Peels thing. It sounds like a, just a kind of support network for women in wrestling that have to deal with the kind of yeah the kind of awful things that people are probably very very aware of yeah um yeah i mean that's fair yeah we don't know much i wish i had it right in front of me about things that we can do uh as fans to sort of uh i don't know <laughs> Is that I want to say change things, and I know as like as fans, we there's not really like too much stuff we can for like you know change. Uh, besides, I know there's petitions. I remember seeing them. I just don't can't find them at the moment right now. Yeah, um, Will Will Cooling, who does stuff for PW Torch and Post Wrestling, I believe. Um, he is a, a kind of wrestling journalist. Um, you know, actually qualified unlike most wrestling quotation journalists and um, was kind of um, sharing those kind of links and petitions that you can sign and the like. That's awesome. Definitely. It's what uh, that is at will cooling spelled mm-hmm. like how it would, would should, should be spelled. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, obviously we condemned all those, those things done by all those individual wrestlers. Obviously there's, like you said, the list is long and growing day by day. Uh, obviously, we're going to try to avoid talking about those wrestlers in the future. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. There's not much to say about this topic, is there, Craig? I mean, we, we basically know. We, we talked about it before the show started. <laughs> it is difficult. and It's uncomfortable. We, we're, 
we we're not we're not best placed to talk about it any further than like how it makes us feel, and that's as um you know privileged white men that can can sympathize and can perhaps empathize a little, but like without um I think it was um Adam Cleary on what culture what culture did a shortened version of their usual wrestle culture on Friday, and he spoke very eloquently about like just go out and speak to the women in your life and get educated about you know the, the reasons why um women are not as comfortable as men walking home in the evening or you know what stories they might have about ways in which they have been made to feel uncomfortable or or worse um so yeah it's I think I think that's about as good as advice as you're going to get. Go and go and talk to the people that know. And the other thing, the other thing is is the the kind of oh, but like what what about what about so and so that did this, and that person was unfairly accused. Um, I haven't seen statistics on this, but the kind of the kind of myth of the 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 accuser who is lying. Why? Why would a healthy person who can speak well come out and make these kind of false allegations? That's not going to improve their life. That's not going to make them money. It's it's if somebody is making an allegation, generally statistically, and again, I would have to see the numbers, but my awareness around this issue is that statistically those people are overwhelmingly telling the truth when these things are investigated um and yeah don't don't be part of the yes but what if she mob because that kind of behavior is unhealthy um, and it's not good for you and it's certainly not good for them and just please go and talk to people and educate yourself before you start victim blaming and making it worse a this is according to nsvrc.org uh what are this national i believe that is national sexual violence resource c i don't know what the c stands for uh <laughs> uh there is a multi-site study that says that a multi-site study of eight u.s communities including 2000 plus cases of sexual assault found a 7.1 percent rate of false reports this study mm-hmm. conducted in 09. Obviously, that is several years ago. Uh, what is that, 11 years ago? So uh, things could have changed, but still, mm-hmm. that is a 7.1% report of false reports. So like you said, you know, the likelihood that all of these stories are true is very high. Uh, and like you said, I unless it's someone that is... It could be a, a thing of uh, the uh, a false accuser, but more than likely they're not and that just makes it even more disappointing i guess um but like we all said it it is that thing about uh you know when you have when you have when something's broken you have to find what is broken first to ultimately fix it so i really hope that there's things to do i i've seen many people come up with ideas i like the idea of just stop having like minors get trained for wrestling i feel like that's you know that's probably shouldn't be a thing obviously you know and that's not the broader issue obviously when it comes to like the travis banks things he's 30 with a 17 year old um 
you know, that's not that age differential. He should know better. Um, Doesn't sound like a healthy relationship. No, to no. say the least. Um, but like, you know, not maybe not have these guest coach sort of mechanics in place. You know, if, if this happened in any other, I don't know. I say if this happened in anything else, but we all can remember this happened in film a couple years ago as well. It's just. I don't know off the top of my head what things the film world did besides just calling out when it's when a new thing happens or something. I don't know if there was any sort of systematic infrastructure changes that took place, but obviously wrestling has never been the most, uh, I don't want to say it, non-carny business. <laughs> so, mm. so professional business maybe is the word. Um, and hopefully we can yeah, uh, root, I think, I root think out some bad things part of the issue is like the power dynamics and like quite a common theme is like people being worried about what are the consequences of them saying this or people going to somebody and saying about what happened and being told to keep it quiet um and that that is hard to get around because unfortunately when you have and when there are those kind of power dynamics people quite often don't do the right thing and decide they'd rather keep something quiet than to help the person and yeah i think um associations where women are um kind of finding other women to support them um men where appropriate then i mean that must be the way forward um like trade unions have always been a weird issue in wrestling mm-hmm. I'd suggest any kind of kind of um, area of like labor that doesn't want a trade union is immediately suspicious. Like, why why would why would promoters not want trade unions? Well, it's to stop them um, having to pay more money, essentially. But which is the, a bo- which to me is a bogus reason not to have a union. It's not it's not a good reason at all. But the side effect of that is reduced protection for people, and I think that's what you're seeing here. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a lot of a lot of bad stuff. I also want to say for any fans of these these you know fans of wrestling at the time, I understand uh, how difficult it is to be a wrestling fan right now. Uh, you know, I, all of us are sort of sick to our stomach about what's happening here. Don't feel, I don't want to say, don't feel bad about liking, you pre- previously liking these wrestlers. Uh, you know, it's, I, 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 you know, I, there was a lot of these wrestlers I liked. I mean, there's a lot of these wrestlers that I greatly enjoy their wrestling. Now, I, you can't look at them without thinking about what they've, you know, all the stories of what they've done. And it's, they they not only not only did they do the things that you know do the sexual abuse and and conduct sexual harm and all these things but um they they ruined their careers the moment they did they, they did these things they not only took advantage of these women more so they took advantage of those women but they also in a way took advantage of the fandom that we gave them as fans i feel uh, again i'm just speaking on this, these are my own words i'm not speaking on behalf of anyone this time uh, i'm just saying these are my own words i feel like they these wrestlers have taken advantage of the fandom and that power has sort of obviously gone to their head in some aspects that they feel like they could 
do these things. Um, I, I, and what I guess what I mean to say is that, that these wrestlers have these people have I don't want to say wrestlers anymore, but these people have um, taken advantage of us, and it's obviously upsetting. But yeah, I guess those are my thoughts on the matter. It's a whole thing. I don't want to, we can't do a whole episode about this, can we, Craig? I mean, I guess we could. It'd be very sad to listen to. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not uh, we're not. I don't think we're in a position to say much more than that. I don't like. Um, I think we've kind of expressed views that are probably reflective of a lot of people um, that kind of follow this stuff um, at the moment. And yeah. Um, post wrestling seems to be doing a lot of good stuff. I'd listened to their Chris and Ashley episode, and yeah, there are there are people that um that are, that are talking about this on podcasts that have inside tracks into with into these companies and can. T- I mean, if you you know if you if you want to do your kind of due diligence and become educated on these kind of things, you know, you you're not going to have to look far to to find. Um, the people that are um, well best positioned to to talk about it. All right. Well, let's get into the rest of the show. I have no other. I can't. I as as my nickname has been dubbed before the King of Transitions. I have no way to transition out of this, quite frankly, Craig. Uh, but uh, the only thing I got is you know there we earlier this week uh, we did have the official return of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, which obviously was amazing for many wrestling fans that started this week. Um, but it was an amazing r- return. We had the Together Project special, of course, and then the first two rounds of the New Japan Cup tournament. Uh, Craig and I have two matches here that we sort of wanted to dive deep into in terms of stat breakdown. Just right off the top, though, Craig, uh, what were your thoughts about not only New Japan returning, but re- returning with that, that old vigor that we all missed? Uh, yeah, positive, of course. Um, yeah, um, very enjoyable. Good to see it back. Um, perhaps less of an issue them not having fans in other companies. Um, they don't rely too much on the crowd in these kind of like tournament type situations. Um, the bigger, bigger matches, you'll you'll definitely you'll definitely miss the crowd. Um, as as kind of like a a big main event, New Japan match heats up, but you know. Um, these kind of hard-hitting early tournament matches, I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest they miss the crowds all too much. Yeah, the, New Japan doesn't really play. It feels like their wrestling style doesn't really play to, to the crowd often. Obviously, there are some some wrestlers obviously do, especially the comedic ones. But obviously, you know the whole Okada Rainmaker pose obviously is playing to the crowd. But it feels like they're just sort of like, okay, well. Of those small things that we do, playing towards the crowd, taunt to the crowd sort of thing, we'll just, you know, cut those and just do this classic wrestling. Uh, and obviously ramp up the uh, grunts and noises <laughs> from a lot mm, of wrestlers. Yeah. That always helps to... Uh, uh, I remember, uh, you know, the the idea about someone saying that, like, you know, when you're doing commentary, whether being a wrestler, the best thing to do when it comes to empty arena is just uh, constantly fill it up with noise. Just constantly talk mm-hmm. or grunt or do something. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta fill in that void in a sense. 
Um, but let's get into uh, some New Japan Cup match breakdowns. The first one we got here, Craig, is, of course, uh, from night one of the New Japan Cup. It was the, uh, I guess, main event match of that that card. Tomohiro Ishii versus El Desperado. And what was, a, a, a right off the bat, a, a classic match that made me remen- remember, like, oh, yeah, this is what I miss for the past, pff, what, three, four months? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was, it was, you know, it's, it's, it was New Japan straight away, um, and certainly you'll see that in statistics. Big numbers, decent size matches. Um, yeah, new, very New Japan. Well, let's get into it. Let, you know, we're looking at the stats right now. Um, obviously, big numbers. <laughs> big num- I think the first thing that comes, you know, highlights in my eyes is that that number of strikes from Big Tom over there. Yeah, it's very kind of. Tom Hiroishi, first round of the cup against the junior heavyweight. Uh, no big deal. He still drops 75 strikes. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, whatever. I'm just <laughs> Tom Hiroishi. I'm just going to beat yeah. the crap out of you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was like 20, 20 minute match, just over 20 minutes, eight, plus 18 seconds. Um, I don't know. I found it a little bit long. I didn't, I wasn't sure. Um, maybe I would have shaved five minutes off of it um not sure that uh, desperado could quite carry the match for that long or maybe not working this style with, with ishii it was still a very good match um ishii dominant 57 percent of the match offense a lot of that coming um in strikes he got 24 more strikes than desperado um eight strike downs to four in favor of ishii one more grapple from ishii um, Desperado with more submission, uh, 37 seconds compared to 12. Um, but, I mean, that's not perhaps a big enough number to kind of uh, make any difference. Reversals, Ishii even reversing more of El Desperado's moves. It really seemed quite hopeless for Desperado. Um, Ishii coming in with a better strike down rate and reversal rate. Um, and you can even see that um, El Desperado kind of was resorting to any dirty tactic that he could muster 15 fouls in this match compared to only two from Ishii. There was a lot of kind of weapon use and kind of, um, a kind of get, getting around the referee. So yeah, it was, um, very much, uh, Tomohiro Ishii in control, dealing out the strikes, dealing out any old offense he liked with El Desperado, Desperadoing his, Way to fouls. That was bad. <laughs> I loved it. I loved. The, I loved the attempt at a pun. I maybe <laughs> dot 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 question mark. Yeah. No. Uh. Th- this match. Uh. You know, looking at the stat breakdown, it's one of those things that. Um. You know, obviously coming to this match the night from the night before in the tag match, El Desperado. Uh, sort of worked on Tomohiro Ishii's uh, knee. Um, uh, mm-hmm. So coming into this match, obviously De- Despi had that in his advantage. Uh, and then obviously you saw the fouls, the fouls, I should mm-hmm. say, uh, yeah. continuing to try to get that advantage. But no matter what you say about it all, you know, sort of looking at this, it is sort of that thing of um, it is New Japan. It, Tomohiro Ishii being the heavyweight has basically full advantage of this match from the beginning. I mean, even looking at his flow of offense, he 
I mean, nowhere nowhere close does Despi get anywhere close to the heights of Ishii's offense, uh, offensive value. Yeah. I mean, the El Disbro's highest value coming in a, a little a little more a little less than halfway through the match, coming in at like what eighteen ish versus Ishii's like thirty four thirty five. So there's nowhere nowhere close for Despi. Despite, uh, despite you know, at, at times Ishii very much looking like the uh, babyface in this match. Not babyface, he is a babyface in this match. Uh, the underdog in this match. Uh, he definitely was in control the entire time. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I mean, I think that, I mean, the flow of offense obviously shows that Desperado really wasn't building anything. Um, but then when you're looking, when you're looking at the fouls and the kind of the statistics in Ishii's favor is, you know, it is very much an underdog story, but where the underdog is instead of trying to pick their moments or coming up with a tactic it is more just going to the easy option and, um, you know, trying to break the rules wherever, wherever one can get away with it. Yeah, uh, that is one thing about like there is like that the weight of fouls. I mean, using chair shots mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, it is it yeah. is a number, but it is a chair shot. So it is a sort of. I want. I guess when we eventually get to it with those AEW stat breakdowns versus win loss mm-hmm. records, I'm interested to see how fouls do. Because um, obviously, I guess it should say. Uh, you know, we've been doing those AEW stat breakdowns for a while now. Um, you know, and this is New Japan. How the New Japan probably you know levels out their matches is probably different than AEW. So we can't be quite certain, but I would imagine that there are some ideas that more than likely strike downs are still a prevalent stat when it comes to New Japan pro wrestling. One would think so with the kind of um, the kind of focus on the strike battles that occur in New Japan pro wrestling, kind of more so than anywhere else. Well, uh, certainly that we've been. Um, looking at in terms of American stuff. Yeah, I mean, speaking of strike battles, let's get into the next <laughs> match. <laughs> the understatement of the year. Speaking of strike battles, uh, next match we're looking at here is the next night of the New Japan Round 2, the co-main event, Yuji Nagata versus Minoru Suzuki, a match with two 52-year-old men just <laughs> pummeling each other I mean, you gotta look at these strike numbers. Holy crap, Craig. Yes, um, many, many strikes in this match. So 230 strikes were exchanged, which <laughs> is a crazy amount. Um, and to to give you to give you a bit of context um for that, um I've essentially counted every strike thrown in AEW since the beginning of the year there are only three men that have thrown more than 230 strikes and all three of them have wrestled at least 10 times but if we if we just take eugene Nagata's strikes from there his was 121 number um in aew only seven wrestlers have a total of like accumulated strikes of more than Nagata in 2020. So we've got Colt Cabana, Kenny Omega, Dustin Rhodes, Guevara, Kip Sabian, Moxley, and Cody Rhodes. And those guys have all wrestled for over 50 minutes in total. Um, six of the seven of them have wrestled for over an hour. Everybody else has less than 121 strikes in 2020. 
and that includes MGF, Archer, Pack, you know, six, six, and five matches. Um, further down, Darby Allen's wrestled in eight matches, uh, wrestling time of one hour, 16 minutes, and um, 79 strikes in total, which pales in comparison to both the men in this match. So it's the it's the most strikes that I've seen in one singular match, I, I believe, off the top of my head since I started pulling these things together. Yeah, and, and not only that, they that seven wrestlers have exceeded that number, but they are across several matches in more than fifty minutes to over an hour match time. Yeah. He's able to Colt get Cabana, that number in a, in twenty Colt minutes. Is the um, only guy out of all those guys that's wrestled for less than an hour. Wow! And Nagata is able to get get one hundred twenty one strikes in twenty minutes. Yes, yes, exactly. And again, a lot of, a lot like the, essentially the first five minutes of this match was just strikes. It was, um, there wasn't a huge amount of variety, but it was compelling somehow. I mean, look at that flow is, of offense there. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. And you can see like how, how, how many, how many switches, like that, that first five minutes is all strikes, even where like Nagata gets that jump where there's like six things in a row those that's just six strikes it's not they're they're not pulling out grapples or anything yet um it's i think it's just it's just after it's around the six minute mark where i uh suzuki takes nagata down and starts putting on submission holds but like yeah five minutes of pure strikes and the kind of the kind of way that these guys can make that interesting and how they respond to the strikes and the kind of the kind of showmanship and um the the kind of Mizoru suzuki method of half sticking his tongue out and laughing um <laughs> after his opponent has struck him it's it is um it is it is an odd skill um but one that these two guys were you know sp- somehow 52 years old never leaving their feet for five minutes were just like spellbinding <laughs> Uh, just a reminder, if you want to take a look at all these stats and graphics, you can always go to our YouTube channel, Hit the Books Podcast, and uh, go and watch the video version of this uh, program. Or, of course, you can go to ProWrestlingMusings.com. There will be a link of it in the description of this podcast episode to link to either the tweets or the official document that Craig may or may not put out. I'm not sure. We'll find out, I guess, Craig. Uh, but I uh, just want to put that plug in there. It will be there, yes, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, this match, uh, yeah, even though despite only getting 121 strikes in this match from Nagata, <laughs> 49% the match offense. He's slacking. He's slacking, Nagata. What are you doing, my man? Blue justice? Jeez. Uh, that, uh, looking at this, his <laughs> strikes was his only strategy, right? I mean... Yeah, Minoru mixed was. it. Minoru mixed it up by you know doing some you know his strikes are a little bit harder with the strike downs, mixing it up with going submissions. Um, a lot I mean, more it was, fouls. It was almost the strategy was almost I'm going to keep hitting him with strikes until that's all he thinks I do, and then I'm going to hit him with grapples and win, which is essentially what happened. Yeah, hit him with three grapples, one of which was a German suplex into a pin. Yeah, like. Yeah. I think Suzuki was probably just surprised that he wasn't getting hit in the face anymore. Was is the pin attempt that's listed there uh, the pin he uh, won that's with? That's the finishing. That's the finishing pin. 
Wow. So, yeah, there were only two pin attempts in this match. One was Suzuki about halfway through, and the other one was Nagata winning the match. Wow. So, like, there, there wasn't a lot of variety in this match. <laughs> it was 230 strikes, um, four grapples, 100 seconds of Suzuki submissions, um, only 11 reversals, because, like, they just were allowing each other to hit them in the face. They weren't even, like, trying to stop um, two two pin attempts a bunch of fouls from suzuki which is customary and yeah that was that was it it was, it was not you know uh, not a very differentiated match but i don't know it worked for me and yeah i really really enjoyed this and i only watched it this morning because i've been a bit kind of off with wrestling um, and yeah this this uh, this hooked me i i liked this one there's nothing about uh, watching an amazing match that brings you back into remind reminding you about why this sport's amazing, um, mm-hmm. and even then, like you may look at these stats and be like, "Ah, oh, it's just a bunch of guys, just like, some guys punching each other for for twenty minutes." Yeah, when people watch UFC, it's the same exact thing. This match is amazing. <laughs> I cannot stress enough. I get, I went four and a half stars on it. I was like, "This match." Did is, you? Wow. I was I was highly praising this match. I was like, "This match is amazing." Uh, it's again, you have to say. 52-year-old 52, 52 men. Um, I think this match might have been on Suzuki's birthday. It might have been the day before. I'm not positive. But either way, uh, very old men uh, just going mm. at it. And it, to be safe, this isn't just a one-off of just t- two people punching each no, other. No, no. You know, the night the night before uh, was, was them battling in a tag match. The night even before that, two nights previous to this to this match, was them battling each other. Uh, Nagata was coming into this match with a slightly red chest and leaving with a purple chest. You know, it's that sort of thing of like, they weren't, it's just not a one off thing. And then there's also the rivalry that they've had for years now. Um, it's well, I amazing. Just about, I was just about to mention that. Like, um, so because I watched this so late, um, I was able to watch it with the English commentary. And Kevin Kelly was very much putting this rivalry over. And I think he said at the end, um, Nagata's certainly won up now um, I think it's 7 to 6 in terms of victories over over their kind of career and yeah I mean this match was so good it got me into Nagata like I'm I would be now looking forward to his match in the next round which I think will be against Okada um, if I'm right I'm, I'm not po- sure I'm just gonna double check all. that I'll double check that for um, you but yeah no um, very interested to see his next match um, and it's so much so that like I love Suzuki and it's it's surprising he's and I would I would I would still be more invested in Suzuki in the next round but I'm I'm also interested to see Nagata's next match and um, so much so that I'm really not that disappointed that Suzuki's gone out yes Nagata's next match it will be against uh, Kazuchika Okada which I remember seeing on Twitter, I think it was maybe, that uh, they've only had one other match before, and it was a G1 match a couple of years ago. So this right. will be interesting. Obviously, Nagata already being some sort of bracket buster. Uh, I wonder if he's going to be... Um, and if you, if for whatever reason you've watched this match and been like, wow, I want to see more of Nagata. I think the guy's name is Monkey Buckles on Twitter. It, that's either... <laughs> what a great name. Um, that's <laughs> that's either his name or his handle. It might be at Monkey Buckles or Monkey Buckles. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, but he, um, 
And like I retweeted this because it was just a fantastic piece of work and I had no interest in the Nagath at the time. But he had like <laughs> done a thread of like every single Nagata singles match in New Japan, like written as a like, brief comment on it. And I think there's like 106 of them or something in the end. So yeah, it's worth worth checking out just to see how giant the thread is, if nothing else. Yes, uh, I'm trying to look through and find uh, monkey buckles for us. Uh, yeah, uh, when it was when he, when I was listening to a podcast during the a New Japan podcast during the uh, off period of New Japan, and they were it was a watch along, and so I was just sort of watching. It was the super 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 J cast, yeah, super J cast. I totally forgot the name, and they were doing a watch along, mm. uh, and so they were you know able to I was able to watch a lot more old Nagata matches. One could argue Nagata is prime, I guess. Um, but definitely is like being able to watch all this old stuff coming into it. It's like, okay, a little bit more appreciation of who this person is. Cause you know, I started watching new Japan two years ago, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm still fairly new. So at the time I seen Nagata and I'm like, Oh, it's just, he's one of the dads, you know, he's just going to be out there yeah. and just do his thing. But then every once in a while, you know, you get Nagata who gets, you know, gets that, that tap on the shoulder and just goes out there and just kills it. Honestly. Yeah, and it was good, and this is the first Nagata match that I've seen, like, the first, well, I don't know, I, I tend not to watch a huge amount of, like, the giant tag matches, so it's certainly the first singles match of his that I've seen. And, yeah, it's a very, it's a very specific style of match, and I don't know how many of those I would want to see, but he was certainly compelling enough that I am interested to see how him and Okada put a match together. Yes, definitely interested. Definitely, definitely interested. Especially being uh, Okada's, eh, one could argue, first official mask like, coming back. Obviously, there's the one with Gato, but I mean, eh, come what? on. <laughs> come on. Well, uh, he, yeah, he had a match with Tai Chi, I think, actually, Okada. Um, new Beginnings. No, no, uh, not in the new year. The Oh, uh, just since... from the... Yeah, oh, no, I understand. Sorry, my, my mistake. No worries, no worries. Well, uh, of course, uh, we're going to leave New Japan now, but if you ever want to see more uh, uh, New Japan Cup statistics and analysis, you can go over to PWMusings, not PWMusings.com, well, at PWMusings and go to ProWrestlingMusings.com. Craig, thankfully, put together a bunch of New Japan Cup matches like Makabe, Suji, the great Yato, Yano Jado match, uh, you know, match of the match of the century right there, um, Jeez, yeah. <laughs> and uh, a bunch of other matches in the New Japan Cup. So you can always go there to find even more New Japan stat breakdowns. Uh, but as we leave New Japan, let's head over back to America and look over and head on over to Florida and look over <laughs> at another TNT Championship match. The matches continue for Cody Rhodes as he faces the brand newcomer, not only newcomer, but new absolute mainstay for AEW since getting that contract, Ricky Starks. Um, Craig, thoughts on this match? Thoughts on the um, breakdown, I guess. Nice, nice, um, nice little match. Um, eight, only eight and a half minutes, but it's kind of pales in comparison to the New Japan stuff. Um, the caveat being that this is, of course, a TV match, um, and Cody Rhodes can't like wrestle for... 20 minutes every week we'd get sick of him and other people need to wrestle etc and um, but yeah um close match absolute ricky starts coming out with the match offense lead 53 percent of the match um from him a lot of that was from strikes his 29 beating cody's 24 one more strike down from him as well cody went for two grapples 
Starks only won, one dive each. Um, Cody didn't really go for submissions in this. Only three seconds worth of submissions right at the start. Ricky starts with a quite a also small 12 seconds worth. Many reversals in this, however, um, a contrast to the New Japan match we just spoke about. 30 reversals in total, 17 to Cody. So he was really having to fend off his young, hungry challenger. And you can see that in the pin attempts as well. He was trying to end the match more so than Ricky Starks. Uh, four pins attempts for Cody, two for Ricky. Um, and yeah, Cody won it with the crossroads, a nice reversal into the crossroads. And yes, yeah, a, a decent um, title defense. A lot of people are really high on it. Um, I didn't enjoy it as much as the other two. Um, but some, sometimes it's just like um, kind of where you are when you watch these things. So yeah, uh, decent, decent stuff here. Yeah, uh, I thought it was a pretty good match. Uh, you know, a good outing for... I think it was a good outing at the very least for for a newcomer like Ricky Starks. Mm-hmm. Um, looking, at this, looking at these numbers, uh, interesting, obviously, based on all the stat breakdowns, the analysis we've been doing for the past couple of weeks. Uh, Cody, you know, getting not a lot of strike down rates. He's just really sort of punching a lot more. Um mm-hmm. And yeah, just reversing a lot more. Uh, as we'll talk about reversals coming up, very interesting. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw the. Um, did you did you get a check to see what I sent you right before the show started? Uh, what was that? Sorry. I I was looking back through all three of Cody's matches. Oh, yes, yes. So obviously the Jungle Boy match, the Mark Quinn match, and now the Ricky Starks match. Just sort of like uh, looking at the all of the stats of those matches to see if I can just pull anything from them. Mm-hmm. And the only big takeaway I got okay. so far, however, um, is that, you know, looking at this first glance, I noticed that uh, the number of strikes that Cody gave doubled during these three matches. So in the Jungle Boy match, uh, Cody gave 12 strikes and the Mark Quinn 21 and then the Ricky Starks 24. Uh, so the number of strikes uh, doubled as three matches went along despite his match offense going down. So in Jungle Boy's match offense was 53%, then 50% in Mark Quinn, and then here we have it at 47%. Um, so I, to me, the only big takeaway I got from that is that he's concentrating more on striking his opponent versus doing other moves i would suggest and based on what we spoke about in the past that that tells a story of a wrestler that is overworking um we we've kind of we've kind of stumbled across the idea that um guys that depend on just doing lots of strikes and don't differentiate their offense enough are the ones that are losing more matches so in cody's first match and his second match actually the offense is very differentiated there's he's using grapples he's using submission and in this match against ricky starks he's he's barely doing anything else than kind of rudimentary um striking which is almost like a kind of um just trying to grind his opponents down by many many strikes rather than building up to grapples and longer submissions yeah one could argue that what really ultimately saved cody in this match was his high number of reversals in the first match he yeah, had yeah. 13 reversals the second match six this match 17 so you know like he said he's cody as we've been looking at the stat stat breakdowns the past several weeks we've noticed that both moxley and cody are very well-rounded 
individuals. So like you said, if Cody is now focusing more on a specific thing, becoming more of a striker, and that's his strategy, that may eventually lead to his downfall um, and eventually lose the TNT Championship. Maybe it's a thing about maybe I'm going to go out and work on my striking to see if I can get the win because obviously I'm heading uh, down the path of facing Jake Hager. Uh, you know, obviously I'm a mixed martial artist, um, but obviously Cody here is, I would argue his reversal sort of saved him, um, from losing the TNT championship. It's interesting as the, the flow of offense almost shows like, so it begins in a kind of, um, AW fast paced, lots of reversals type stuff. And then as we get towards the end, it kind of almost falls into a new Japan strike exchange before. Cody um, sneaks the win. Yeah, that's true. That is, that is actually is very true. I just noticed that. Um, yeah, it's it 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 just becomes a normal match, and then they just sort of duke it out at the very end there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Very interesting. But I I would argue that I wonder if the, I'm trying to think of like trying to come up with like the take of like what that would maybe say. And I wonder if that's like oh Cody. I have to remember like when Arn gets involved because there's always Arn that <laughs> gets gets involved at some point. But I, I I wonder if it's like Cody sort of maybe realized that like hey, Starks might beat me here. Let me just punch him. <laughs> Let me just punch him a lot. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe. Um, and hopefully that might wear him down a little bit. I you know he's he's taking he's like I watched the Nagata match this morning. Let me you know if that <laughs> worked for him. Let me see if it works for me. Let me mix up my strategy. Because um, there is something to say about, like, there is the idea of Arn being on ringside about us trying to watch out for, um, you know, the story moments of Arn, like, telling him information. Uh, I'm, try- I'm trying to, I don't remember if it happened in this match or not, but there's that idea, of, like, maybe Cody then changes up his strategy following that exchange with Arn Anderson. Just I just had that thought just now, and that's a whole other thing to think towards. But uh, I All wonder. Right. Yeah, I see what you mean. Because there's such a stark, no pun intended, um, <laughs> there's such a stark contrast in the way that the match is wrestled. You've got the kind of the big peaks and troughs of an AEW match where there's lots of reversals and people are kind of putting together bigger moves, and then it it disintegrates into a one strike, one strike exchange, New Japan like the the end of that graph is more um is more illustrative of a new japan match kind of breakdown rather than an AEW one yeah exactly well like we sort of said we've talked about reversals kind of leading into this match uh obviously for the past several weeks you can always go back to listen to previous episodes but for the past several weeks we've been sort of looking at the specific stats in regards to all elite wrestling when it comes to whether or not doing certain moves can lead uh, more likely to a win or loss. Um, and we got a new stat, new graph here when it comes to the reversal rate, percentage of moves faced reversed versus win-loss record, of course, for one-on-one matches. And these are for wrestlers that have 30 minutes accumulated ring time. Craig, gotta say... I said it last week when I was like slightly disappointed about the submissions. Very disappointed when I'm looking at this one with that big old negative connotation. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, just just a point before we go any further. Um, if you if you note note the positioning of John Moxley, MGF, and Cody again, mm-hmm. it's very similar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very similar for like that. They're, they're they're where they are in all of the graphs, right in the middle. 
There, that's uh, yeah, and that, which goes again to the idea that they are very well-rounded people. Uh, well, MGF, oh, MGF, is, <laughs> MGF is sort of the asterisk on being a well-rounded person, maybe. But you were saying, Craig, <laughs> no, I, I was kind of suggesting that they they always end up in that kind of mid-range, mm-hmm. um, and it's the kind of idea that like they're never at the extremes. Like Cody, Cody is kind of maybe upper above average there, and John Mox is under average. But like they're never the guys that are picking up all the wins almost never end up at the extremes of the graph. And you you would expect to find them at the extremes. You would expect to your top wrestlers, the guys that are picking up all the wins, to be the ones that are like the best strikers and the best grapplers. Um but but where we are rather finding that the wrestlers in AEW with the really large win-loss records are tend to be in the middle of the pack Mm -hmm. and which is really interesting yeah i mean looking at this obviously there's some people in the outskirts there phoenix and cabana all the way on the right side of your graph there who are um not a lot of wins but highly a lot of a lot of reversals um and then of course all the way on the end on the left side we have jericho similar you know similar win-loss record to phoenix and cabana but very little amount of reversals, the least amount of reversals by any of these wrestlers on a thing. So, you know, cor- sort of like that thing about um, it's maybe not, it's kind of semi-working for them, the large, for those specific wrestlers, the for Jericho, the least amount of reversals versus Phoenix and Cabana's large amount of reversals, kind of working because they do have positive uh, or at least not negative win-loss records. But there is something, like you said, to being more in the middle range. Um, tends to lead you to more victories yeah but you would you would think that reversals would be like i don't know like a an exception to that is it like what could possibly be bad about reversing wrestling moves to your chance to winning yeah that is true the fact that there is overall looking across the board of all these wrestlers the fact that there is some sort of negative line here very interesting. I I one hundred percent was not expecting this. I was one hundred percent expecting that the more reversals you're able to get in, the higher chance you get to win a match. You know, if if I'm able, if if you can't hit me, then I'll probably win the match, right? Well, yeah, right. But so so then, how do you rationalize this? Mm-hmm. And I've had a wee while to think about it. Um, so how do you rationalize this? Well, if you've got somebody like Cabana, Phoenix, Darby Allen, Sabian, they're how how much how much energy does it take to reverse a move? Mm. Is the energy expelled to reverse a move more damaging for you than taking the abuse? Well, I mean, one would one would assume that it would be better to reverse it. Mm. But then we go back to John Moxley, who we've spoken at length about in the past as his defining characteristic almost just seems to be that he can take a lot of abuse and just keep coming. So somebody like, like is Phoenix and Cabana, are they reversing a lot of moves because they're really skilled competitors or are they just so afraid of being hit, taking something and psychologically that that's spoiled. they they can't they can't deal with that psychologically if they take too many hits their fight or flight systems firing they're not they're not working slow enough they're thinking too fast they're jittery they're 
and then they're making mistakes and their opponents are winning. Um, uh, I do want to ask, when it comes to writing down a reversal rate, uh, if mm-hmm. I, if I, if Ricky Starks were to punch Cody, Cody yeah. you know, reverses it into an arm drag. I don't know. I'm not a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he's able to do that, you would write that down as a Cody reversal and not a Ricky Starks strike, correct? Yeah, yeah. If Ricky, if unless like, it, if, unless it actually if, hits. Yeah, yeah. The the statistics are all for. So the one that often sticks out is quite often you'll write down that a wrestler did no diving maneuvers in a match. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people will turn around and be like, yeah, but he did a shooting star press. Like, yes, but his opponent rolled out of the way. So mm-hmm. the, the statistics are only for the moves that connect. Okay. Okay. Because I was thinking about, uh, I'm looking back all the way to episode one, Craig. Ah, remember those days? Right. Uh, where, where obviously, you know, still gathering data. And we'll look at all of this, revisit all of this down the line. Yeah. But, you know, when it came to average offense percentage, um, for win-loss records, uh, there was a v- large positive correlation where you know the more offense you put into a match, the more likely you would have won. Obviously, things might change now when we revisit all these things because at the time, Brody Lee was at 85% off offense percentage of a four-win record. Um, so things might have changed slightly. The thing graph might have been less, you know, get those extremes out of there a little bit more. Um you know, but uh, I guess what am I trying to say is is that um, it's interesting that the more it, you know, what it would lead me to believe that the more times you hit someone, the more likely it is to win a match. But convert in inversely, the less times you hit someone is will less likely win a match. And then when it comes to reversals, where you were being hit less because you're reversing also leads less likely to winning matches. Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? Um, I, I don't know. Could you hmm. perhaps... Re- I'm a little bit lost, to be completely honest. That's fair. Um, <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, if, if you... If, if Ricky... If, if John Moxley... John Moxley is a bad example because he's, like, a middle thing. If Darby Allen. Uh, had a very high uh, damn it I can't I, okay you know what scratch it I can't think of it I can't think of it I guess what I'm trying to say is that like uh, the av- more you know when we looked at the average match offense the more offense you had in a match the more likely you would win it is what we were sort of yes. gathering from that um, in the in what is the inverse of that 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 would say that the less offense uh, that you dish out the less likely you would win, correct? Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. So when it comes to the reversal rate, there's the idea of the reversal rate is being is dodging or reversing moves. Yeah. So you're no longer getting hit. So you are uh, not receiving um, as many hits or whatever. You're, you're, yes, yes. Which is in, in line with the inverse of the offense taken. So I guess what I'm saying is that it makes sense. I think I don't know exactly what sure. I'm saying. Should I should I scratch this? Should I keep moving along? Maybe I don't know. Uh, yeah, keep going. <laughs> I think, and this is why I'm the host of the podcast and not the statistician uh, of the show because I'm just like, yeah, the yes, I don't know. Anyways, it's been a long week. It's been a long week, Craig. It has. 
Uh, okay, well, yeah, there we go. That's that's the reversal rates there. Uh, maybe if we make more sense as we go forward. Um, speaking of going forward, what's our next stat here? What's what's probably coming up next week, right? Um, so we have left. We have pin attempts, fouls, taunts, finishers. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know how much pin attempts. I don't. Know. I don't see how pin attempts I suppose you could say that pin attempts indicates that a wrestler is more eager to get out rather than taking their time and knowing when to pin. So, I mean, you could draw kind of reasoning and um, correlations from that. And fouls is a lot more interesting because, like, you you often see in wrestling matches that it's the the well-placed foul from the heel wrestler often leads to the the cheap win whether or not that's going to be as prevalent in AEW statistics is it, it as it would be in other wrestling world entertainment company statistics um, <laughs> is is another question entirely so um yeah um one of those probably fouls to me would be the more interesting one to look at mm-hmm. pin attempts and taunts are both that sort of thing but they're both kind of related where it's like you're Pin attempts, you're trying to win. Taunts, you're just sort of like trying to get energy from the crowd or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're both things that you're not like, mm, I don't know. They're both things that you're not How like about... actively punching. So I don't know. I guess I don't know if I'm making sense. Well, why why don't we why don't we revisit kind of the totals again? So like, um, I was thinking of doing instead of just like total offense, I was thinking of doing um the comparison between offense given and offense taken mm. um along with the win wins and loss record so trying to turn it into like a four quadrant graph so like some people that have positive wins and positive offense would be in quadrant one and people uh... that had positive wins but um not positive do you know what you know what i mean yes yes i do i thought that might be an interesting thing to do with it as well well then do you want to do fouls next week and then do that quadrant the week following um, no, I'm actually quite interested in doing the quadrant thing now. Okay, so let's do quadrants. Creative. <laughs> I love it. Let's, let's we can mix it up. Revisit, we can revisit the kind of um, smaller kind of features of performances like fouls or taunts or whatever. Let's do it. I like it. Let's do it. Uh, okay, then next week we'll be looking at that sort of quadrant that you sort of talked about, looking at uh, both offense taken, offense given when it comes to win loss records. You will explain yeah. it all next week. So just you know, just if you want to, uh, if you want to s- figure out what's happening next week, just you know, subscribe, Scri- subscribe to the podcast feed, go to our YouTube channel and subscribe there for the video version. Of course, they'll pop out every Monday. Obviously, if you subscribe, you would know that. Uh, geez. Uh, um, but of course, if you want even more information, you can always follow us on Twitter. Uh, I am at hit the books pod on twitter he is at pw musings on twitter or conversely at craig uh at craig pw musings on twitter so you can always follow us there for even more information whether it be information about wrestling stats about wrestling just general thoughts about wrestling or uh i don't know anything else about wrestling (laughs) or just thoughts about the world i guess at large uh craig anything else to plug uh, no, no. I mean, it's been a bit of an odd podcast. I hope that we um, manage to um, still get across the kind of 
see this is the issue my words have gone um yeah just i hope we managed to pick through the those matches okay and that people that were listening kind of um gleaned something from that episode because it was yeah i think everybody's probably feeling the same way in that we're kind of worn down by this quarantine um racism abuse type news cycle that's going on at the moment so yeah hopefully there was um, something to uh, distract. Yes, I <laughs> can. I just say this, Craig, real quick. I and this is again me just saying this. Uh, I I support all of those things. You know, I support uh, the Black Lives Matter. I support the speaking out movements. Uh, obviously, I support staying inside and not going outside when it comes to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But I would love to just get to an episode of. Uh, our show and not have to like open up the show of <laughs> discussing sadness in the world. Uh, that's yeah. my own. That's my yeah. own. I understand that's my own selfishness speaking out, but I just wish that like, whether it be talking about social media, whether are talking about black lives mattering, whether they're talking about speaking out about these sort of sexual abuse scandals. Uh, let's, I just wish we uh, <laughs> could get through a week where it's not another sad thing happening in the wrestling world. Yeah, it's not the best. Um, I'm I'm convinced that the doomsday clock is at like half past twelve now, and all the atomic <laughs> scientists are holed up in a bunker somewhere. Of course, you mean twelve fifteen. Remember right? <laughs> that's that's a bit. That's a pre-podcast recording bit, uh, and a callback, and a callback, as it were. Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. thank you everybody for listening to this week's episode. Uh, like Craig said, we hope we were to provide some sort of uh i don't want to say distraction because it's not i don't want i don't want to distract uh but some some brevity from what is happening uh in the world uh currently um especially the wrestling world um we'll be back uh next week for even more obviously we'll be back talking about new japan probably another cody match i think there's a cody match again this week i'm also not positive there's always a Cody match. But I remember seeing something about how there was going to be a a a, uh, a fighter fest uh, like discussion or something with Cody, and I was like, "Is he not doing the match then?" <laughs> <laughs> I was very confused, Cody. But I, either way, we'll be back next week for even more discussion all about everything happening in the world of professional wrestling, about stats and analytics. Uh, we'll see you all next week. Have a good week. Goodbye. Goodbye.